Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I am honored to be joined by kind of a famous award winner, Laura Jones. How are you today, Laura? Hi, Pete. Thank you so much. What a great introduction. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, you have this, this thing sitting in front of you in the camera, and we have because you, you mentioned it before we started recording, and we have to start the podcast with this. So many people have watched the Oscars, right? The Academy Awards. They've watched the Grammys. But in the business world, they're kind of two big awards, the Ernst & Young Business Awards and then the Stevie Awards. And the Stevie Awards just happened in Las Vegas, and you were there, and you won. I certainly, I did. I actually won two Stevie Awards, just came back from Vegas, attended the award ceremony. And the one that I am super excited about is the fact that I actually, out of thousands of entries across the world, because it's a big worldwide business award, it is like the Oscars in the business world. And it's a very prestigious award. And I'm honored that I was even named a finalist in two of the categories. But the most exciting thing for me is I won gold. <laughs> so here it is. It looks like an Oscar. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's uh, it looks fantastic on the uh, you know in the office. But um, no, I'm I'm incredibly honoured uh, and thrilled. You know to to have been one nominated, two then become a finalist, and three to actually win gold. Yeah, I was incredibly ecstatic. So. I was able to uh, stand up on stage and receive my award and uh, I got to speak, you know, in front of a lot of Fortune 50 companies. So, yes, it was uh, an absolutely outstanding experience. And uh, again, I'm truly honored. And so now I have three of these. So I actually have three. I'm a triple Stevie Award winner. I won Female Executive of the Year last year, uh, this year's Business Development Achievement of the Year, and also Best Integration of Thought Leadership into the Sales Process. Um, So, yes, I am ecstatic. And that's all down to our leadership uh, programs and also our sales programs that we have designed um, and we implement and help a lot of Fortune 100 companies with those, as well as the marketing side of our business. So all three together just combined, it's just incredible, you know. And this is from your Be A Legend company, correct? Yes. Amazing. Yeah, so Be A Legend is a leadership uh, sales and marketing organization. Um, just depending on the needs of a company. But yeah, I actually personally give a lot of leadership workshops. Um, I do a lot of that all across the country. And obviously, as you can tell from the accent, I am originally from England, the UK, uh, but now reside in Arizona, where I much prefer it because it's much better weather. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you're thinking about hiring an agency to do anything, not many of them have three-time Stevie Award winners at the home. This is true. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. And when you speak and do the acceptance, I, I love the fact that you have this incredibly intelligent British accent because everyone I'm sure set up at the edge of I want to hear more from her. Whenever I'm speaking, because I'm also a keynote speaker, right? So I, mm-hmm. I deliver a lot of speeches as well across the country. And whenever I speak, I always want to make sure I'm creating an impact for others to remember because it's not always what you say, it's really how you say it. But you know, if I have at least, you know, everyone from that audience leaving 
with just even one thing that they can take away that they can then implement into their life, whether it's in the workplace or outside, and I've done my job, right? You know, I really want to create that impact and that lasting memory for them that they think, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to develop this tool bag. And I remember Lara was up on stage and she was talking about this, or I attended one of these workshops and this is what I learned from this. So yeah, it's uh, very exciting. I think your background has so many different experiences leading up to this, but you know, be a legend is such a great idea and a name. But I think there's a couple of things in your background that I'm that I'm curious about that we want to talk quickly about, and then we'll drill more into your, you know, what makes Lara Lara. I think that's important. But you know, the CMO for a performance, like an artist, like you literally ran marketing for a singer, songwriter, actress. How many people get to do that? <laughs> that was actually me. <laughs> it was you, right? That's what I'm saying. Yes. It was you. Yes. But it's funny because it. It it doesn't kind of look that way, right? You've got this pseudo name out there, but I'm like, it's you. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is me. Yeah, I had a, a, a well, I use you know what we call a stage name for that, but that was uh, quite some time back in my life now. But a lot of people don't know that about me. That yes, at one point, well, it wasn't really a, a break in the business world. It was more I was actually finishing off my masters in psychology, mm. and so. While I was doing that, I wanted to make I wanted to do that full time so I could speed the process up a bit. So, um, kind of took a sabbatical and took the time to finish my master's degree. And during that time, I thought, you know what, I I've always loved to sing. I write music. I play piano, saxophone, and again, a lot of people don't know that about me. And I thought, oh, what the heck, you know, why don't I just carry on writing some music? You never know, like send it to some producers, maybe hire an agency, just get my name out there a bit. And lo and behold, it took off very quickly. And I grew an audience up to about 20,000 in probably about three months. It was really short space of time um, that I did that. And all of a sudden I was, you know, surrounding myself with other artists, other original artists that were also getting some really high profile gigs. And one of the most prestigious venues that I've ever performed at, and I was asked um, to actually sing my own music uh, was Sir Richard Branson's Kensington Roof Gardens in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite an honor to do that. And yeah, gosh, that's a, a blast from the past that Peter's quite some time ago. But yes, it's an important part of my life. You know, it's, sure. uh, it was a very um, interesting era, I guess. You know, it was a fantastic, fantastic time, a lot of late nights and, uh, yes. you know, a lot of writing of music. But yeah, it's very therapeutic to do that as well. So. Well, and I bring it up. I had a I had a conversation with a, a gentleman who I'm kind of doing some career career mentoring for, and we were talking about the different sides of our brain that we tap into. And, and I wanted to mention that because the fact that you have such a passion for and are successful in sales and marketing and branding is you have this creative side of your brain that can think musically, right? You can yes. think about building personal brands. You've you've lived it more than a lot of other people. I know a lot of other people that have done sales and marketing coaching, but to to create your own brand. Yes. Drive that much success uh, and tap into the creative side of your, your your brain is, is I wanted people to really pay attention to that because that gives you a little bit of a differentiator and, and upside in what you're doing. Let's talk about the first time we met. I reached out to you on LinkedIn and said, I'd like to, I'd like to meet. And then we got on the very first call in five minutes, realized we know the same people. Yes, we do. And uh, Jason Van Camp, John McCaskill, that whole crew at Warrior Rising, some of my favorite people, both been on the podcast, by the way, as you know. I love the fact that you have this text group where you give each other a very difficult time, <laughs> frequently and often. 
I don't think people realize that Academy Award winners and Navy SEALs are humans and they actually tease each other the same way other people do. It's very true. It's very true. You saw some of these group messages. It's actually, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. We are very, very much normal people. We're human beings and we just, we love to have that humor and that laughter and it is important. It's important for the soul, you know, so... Well, and I brought that segue up because we're going to start getting into what makes you, you. You're a military spouse. The, the two folks I talked about and other folks in your circle, all in the military, special ops. These are, these are major hardcore operators, which you are, you are, by the way, physically doing a lot of the same stuff in workouts. I've seen the videos. It's awesome. I'm trained by a Marine Raider. So yes, it's... Uh... <laughs> by the way, Marine Raider. I mean, just the saying that, it's like, <laughs> if I saw you and your husband walking down the street, I'm giving you a fairly wide berth no matter what. <laughs> I'm only five three too, so you know it's it's deceiving. But you pack a mean punch. You pack yeah. a marine punch <laughs> at five. You said it, Pete. So <laughs> Jason wrote a book called Deliberate Discomfort. You consult with Jason's company and are one of his speakers at a lot of his events, which is uh, Warrior Rising, and he has a thing called uh, Mission Six Zero. John is a very experienced Navy SEAL commander who went through some incredible difficult things in his career. Both have come back and devoted their careers to helping military folks and non-military folks mm-hmm. change their way they're thinking, embrace discomfort, understand how to come through it and use it to their advantage. You have something unique in the fact that you've gone through similar offense in your childhood and as a mother mm-hmm. and as a spouse that I want to spend a little bit of time there because I think it's important for people to understand there's a lot to you today. There was a lot to you yesterday and you had to dig into that. And, and, and by the way, I think you're writing a book right now that's going to tap more into that part of the story. What's the title of the book right now? Do you want to share that? Because I think it's awesome. <laughs> I could share it. I give a little teaser. So hunt or be hunted. Such a cool name. <laughs> it's really only two ways about it. I knew you'd like that, dude. I mean. You either hunt or you're hunted. It's, just, yeah, it's true. It's great. It's, it's one of the reasons why we have a lioness as a logo, because the lionesses are the hunters. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So when we first met, we talked a little bit about part of your backstory. And I'm going to let you set the stage. but. You had a very traumatic event in your life as a mother and a wife. And why don't you walk us through briefly what happened? And then let's talk about how that has kind of shaped your journey from there and what you're doing about it and how you're carrying that message forward. Absolutely. Okay, Pete. Well, um, yes, to everyone listening, I lost my youngest son. He passed away um, about 18 months ago, and I nearly lost my life the same night. Uh, One of the most traumatic experiences I've ever gone through in my entire life. And trust me, I've gone through some terrible trauma in my life. But this by far was the most debilitating and um, horrific incident that I ever, you know, have encountered. And um, it would have been easy for me to give up, you know, at that point. And the, the way everything happened, the way I lost Jack, that was his name, the way I lost Jack, um, the way I nearly lost my life. To kind of give a brief overview, you know, of of kind of what translated or what happened after that. When I was in the hospital bed, I knew I was about to die. I mean, my blood pressure was plummeting. There were half a dozen doctors and nurses around my bedside, really panicking. I'd lost so much blood. They couldn't get the needle in me because my veins had collapsed. It was a 16 gauge needle. And there was just so much panic in the room. And I just remember every time I heard the beeping of the machine and I saw the flash, it was a lower number and a lower number and a lower number. I'd watched my grandmother pass away from um, her blood pressure plummeting. So I knew, you know, my, my, my brain knew that if it got to the 40s over 20s, that was it, I was gone. And it just kept 
dropping and dropping and dropping. And at this point, you know, my hearing has started going, my vision had started tunneling, my speech had started slurring. And I just thought, okay, well, this is it, Laura. You've got to prepare yourself. Like you are about to die. And my blood pressure got as low as 53 over 37. And how I was still conscious, I don't know to this day. But I remember when I saw it that low, I remember kind of slowly looking at my husband and I said my goodbyes because I just knew like the next time that was going to be a flash, that was it. I was going to be unconscious. So I was just going to flatline. And I just remember saying to myself, okay, just breathe really slowly because I said, there's no point in panicking. There's always so much, there's already so much panic in the room. If I started panicking, it would just make me die quicker. So, you know, I wanted to slow my breathing down because um, I'd lost so much blood. My heart basically just couldn't, it couldn't pump um, properly. And my organs were slowly one by one shutting down. And I just remember saying to myself, well, if you die, you're going to be with Jack. If you don't die, you're going to be here with your living boys because I've got two other living children. And I just remember like that fighter in me just said, nope, not today. This is not your time. You are very young. You are not going to die today. This is not how your life is going to end. You did not come this far in life just to die on this hospital bed right here in front of your husband. And the last time I saw my children were that evening I put them to bed because this was late at night. Oh, this was like in the middle of the night now. This was happening. I'd put them to bed and closed their doors. And I thought that cannot be the last time I ever see their mother. And I just said, okay, this is it. You're going to die, but you're going to come back. They're going to resuscitate you. And you are going to fight to come back because you have to, because your boys need you. No, my children need me. And so the strangest thing happened. I then started to kind of calm my mind and tricked my brain. So, you know, I'm trained as a neuroscience coach. So I tricked my brain and imagined that I was actually at home. I could, I, I started, you know, the home scent, you know, the, the smell of the home. I started feeling the carpet under my feet. I could feel the touch of my children, like running against me, brushing up against my skin. And I could hear their laughter. So I used a lot of those techniques, you know, what can I feel? What can I see? What can I hear? What can I touch? And I did that while I was dying in the hospital bed. And I was with my, my children in their bedroom, in my, my brain, right? I'm tricking my brain at this point. And they were just laughing and giggling and they were super happy. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to die. This is the this is the way I want to go because this is, I want to be with my kids. And the strangest thing happened as I was doing all of this and not concentrating on what was going on in that hospital room, all of a sudden my blood pressure just stopped dropping and it stabilized at 53 over 37, just long enough, just long enough for them to figure out how to get the needle in me with the blood that saved my life. And for that, I'm forever grateful because obviously the blood did save my life. And then they whisked me off into surgery and I had surgery and then my my life was saved. But I truly do believe that I helped that process with the training that I've had and the way that I tricked my brain just to slow the speed at which my blood pressure started plummeting like that. So I do think that had a tremendous impact. And I'll tell you something, you know, it took me, it wasn't like it was instantaneous that I just was able to snap out of everything and- you know, feel human again. I mean, for four months, and I'll disclose this, for four months afterwards, I couldn't even bring myself to walk up the stairs, to go upstairs where everything just unfolded and and everything happened. And so I slept on the couch downstairs for four months. I do remember a couple of days after Jack passed away and I came home and I just remember seeing a ton of these butterflies just 
flying off the side of the house and most of them were yellow. And so now to me, you know, yellow butterflies in particular are what um, is, is a sign to me, you know, for Jack. And so yeah. I associate a lot of um, butterflies with Jack. And actually I wrote poetry as a result because obviously I have such a creative side in me that you mentioned earlier that, um, and, and um, it's criminal. I know I don't have a piano at home right now, but <laughs> I will get one. But because I didn't have a piano for the outlet, for the emotions, I started writing poetry. And I've actually written a number of different trauma and grief poems, one of which is called My Beautiful Butterfly. And a local hospital here that I do a lot of work with uh, for their support group for parents who have lost children, they got hold of it and asked if I would read it and distribute it to hundreds of parents that have lost children at their annual um, event that they hold each year. So that was a pretty incredible that I was able to do that. But going back to the story, it took me four months. And then I said to myself, Laura, you have to make a decision. I mean, it is, it's a choice. You either choose to continue on down the path you're on and you just fall deeper and deeper in, 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 into this dark space until like mm-hmm. a of a light, you know, is just getting smaller and smaller. Or you say to yourself, you know what? No, I'm going to use this trauma and grief and I'm going to use it as my fuel and I'm going to do something about it because there are, thousands and millions of people out there that struggle. They struggle with this. Maybe they've lost someone very precious to them, whether it's a child, whether it's a parent, whether it's a sibling, whoever it may be, you know, maybe something else traumatic has happened in their life. And that's the thing. I found that there's a lot of support out there for the grief side, not so much for the trauma, which is where my veteran with my veteran friends and my military community were just incredible. And I was able to turn to them. And John in particular was um, just incredible, you know, um, to me. And, you know, I just, I turned to a lot of them and talked to them about my story and what happened. And they just offered so much support in various different ways. And so now, you know, that really shaped even more so who I am. I mean, I've always been a very, you know, I've always been like that fighter spirit. I've always mm-hmm. been very uh, like, you know, um, the hunter spirit and just a go-getter, right? And I just get things done and I take action. And I've never let anything stop me. But this just, it just blew it up in a huge way. And all of a sudden it's like a thousand times amplified to who I was, you know, and I'm not the same person I was. And quite frankly, I don't want to go back to the same person I was because now my eyes are opened up more. And um, I was actually diagnosed with PTSD and I'm very open about that. I was diagnosed mm-hmm. with traumatic stress disorder, which a lot of people don't understand. And it's not anything to be scared of. You know, it can be debilitating unless you, really understand it. Now, having a background in psychology, having a bachelor's and a master's in psychology and mental health counseling, being trained as a neuroscience coach, obviously I'm a leader. Um, I do a, 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 I teach a lot of this. Right? I do a lot of work. I do a lot of workshops, mm-hmm. leadership and um, adversity, leading through adversity and leadership. And it was like, wow, the time is now. You know, if I'm actually going to lead by example, this is what I've got to do. Sure. And so, you know, I use that PTSD. It's like I always say to anyone that is willing to listen about um, any type of mental health, um, whether you want to call it, I don't like calling it disorder, but mental health, some type of issue or disability, whatever you want to call it, I see as a superpower because there are things that I now know going through the experiences that I have that even though, of course, in a million years, I never wished that I'd gone through, the fact that I have, I can't change it. So I say to myself, everything that I'm doing day to day, is this serving me? Is what I'm doing serving me? So are these negative thoughts that I might have, 
that maybe the PTSD, you know, some of the cause of the flashbacks or um, sometimes the debilitating thoughts, you know, that you think something tragic is going to happen every day. You know, it's, is that serving me? Is that serving me in this moment? Is it true? Is it real? You know, and so you start, you pulling, I mean, I pull from a lot of different strategies. I'm heavily trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. So I use a lot of CBT techniques, but, you know, I pull myself back um, onto that spot and ground myself. You know, I think that I am who I am because of those experiences, right, Pete? And the, the PTSD is just, like I said, it's amplified everything that I had in me, but, you know, multiple, multiple times. Um, and now it's given me this sense of awareness too. So I see it as a gift now. Um, and I see that, you know, Jack is, he's always with me. He's always in my heart. I'm always thinking about him. I always feel him around me. I kind of see him growing up in front of my eyes, even though, you know, he's not here physically and it does help. Um, not everyone is able to do that though. And it is, it is very difficult. But, you know, there's a couple of things I want to, I want to touch on. First of all, thank you. That was a incredibly, I would say, comprehensive recap of what is a lot more of a detailed event, right? There's a lot more going on there. A couple of things that I want to highlight. So it's interesting, the yellow butterflies. My wife, a yellow finch is her dad, and her brother died of ALS after nine years of suffering, uh, is a red cardinal. Oh, wow. So same thing. And, and she will tell you at various times in her life, when something difficult is about to happen, or she's in the middle of something, those two birds show up, literally unannounced, right in front of her. And she just takes this. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. So it's uh, it's it's interesting. She's and by the way, she's adamant about it. Like the same way you are, yellow butterfly. She's like that is Jack or that's Vince or that's Jim, whatever it might be. You mentioned John McCaskill and how uh, you know John's all about mindfulness. And I was you you touched on it. You know, four months of being in this cocoon, right? You're you can't even go upstairs. You're you're in this moment of PTSD that just goes on every day. I imagine you had a bit of postpartum depression woven into PSD, which people are now starting to understand how postpartum depression is such a big deal. My mom likely suffered for it with it for, for years. Like I think most of her life, she never really came out of it. And it got really bad after my sisters were born. And if you look back on it, I don't, no one knew what it was. No one knew how to talk about it or deal with it. And I don't know that she's ever gotten it addressed. Yeah. But there's two moments that I, I think, and by the way, the, the podcast is called Eating Crow, when you have these moments in your life, right, where you think, I've got to change, I'm going to get up, and you had that moment after four months, you're like, I'm going to turn this into a weapon. I'm going to take this grief and this trauma and help others. But the moment I want to go back to is you're sitting there and you look at your husband, and you're like, it's over, I'm, I'm going to die. But then you thought, I've got these two little boys at home. Jack's, somehow you had this incredibly logical discussion, like Jack's in a better place, but these two boys still need me here. Mm-hmm. And my husband, I'm going to, I'm going to rally. And the fact that you're looking at your blood pressure numbers, I just, I almost smile like, holy cow, this just next level shit right there. It's next level shit. So you've come out of this, you've had this trauma, you, and here's an important, really important part for people to remember. You said twice you could have given up. You could have just closed your eyes and said, Lord, take me. 100%. In the four-month period of PTSD you're going through, you said you could have said, I'm just done. I'm not coming out of this, right? Which wouldn't have served you, your husband, or your kids. Most people forget that although there's a John McCaskill in your life, there's a husband in your life who you know, is a badass military guy, but probably not trained in this, right? Right. Right. This is new. This is all new world for everybody. It all started with you. Yeah. You had to dig deep 
and decide either to fight for your life or decide to change the direction of your life after this happened. And you mentioned you're writing this book, Hunter Be Hunted. There's other things that happen in your life. So there's something about you, Laura, that has this grit, this determination. And now you're training organizations, you're training companies, you've got this background in psychology, you're an artist, you're a musician, your brain works on all these different levels. When you're sitting in front of a friend or a a client who you know where they need to get to is different where than they might think, right? They're thinking, well, I just need to actually like, well, there's a whole lot of things you got to figure out before you get to X. How do you help people realize that they've got to look within themselves, right? And then how do you get them to take the first step, right? That's the most important thing. How, how do those two things happen in what you do today? That is a really, really great question and good point. And I'm glad that you pulled that up. And by the way, I didn't know John at the time when I lost my son when I was going through that. So he wasn't in my life at that point. Yeah. Wow. And I'll, I'll, I'll disclose a little bit more about that story. There was, there's actually a lot more to that story, as you know, that mm-hmm. it added to the trauma because it was a double trauma, the way that it happened. So I'll go into that in a moment. But in answer to your question, I break it down. Okay. And I make it a lot more simple. So a lot of, not just leaders, but people in general that I meet, they'll always ask me, well, how, like, for example, you know, he's a Stevie Award winner, right? How did I end up winning gold? It didn't happen overnight. You know, it wasn't something that just, oh, one day I thought, well, let's just, you know, enter this and do this and hope that I'm going to win. I break everything down into small little tasks. And before they're even tasks, I look at habits. Let me just explain what I mean. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that know me, know that I have a famous saying, and I always say, what are you doing today to get you to where you need to be tomorrow? So I always say, ask yourself that question. What am I doing today to get me to where I need to be tomorrow? And even if it's just one little thing that you've achieved in that day, that just gets you another step closer to where you need to be. Well, that's great. Now you've completed one of those tasks. But something that I do a lot um, with organizations, especially on the accountability side of things is I'll get them to do what's called a habit tracker. And it's very Mm -hmm. interesting. You know, I'll get them to track their habits and then I'll get them to identify the habits that they want to do and the habits that they actually have. And then we start to look at, well, how many of those that you wanted to do have you achieved and how many of those that you don't want to do, how many of those did you actually end up doing? You know, and you see these big X's, you know, on like a a big um, spreadsheet or a calendar or whatever it is they want to use. And then you can see all the gaps where the X was not put in. You can see where you've missed like the good habits or you've carried out the bad habits, right? Mm -hmm. And so it starts getting, because you've got to start training your brain, right? So it starts getting it into perspective. And if you can start sticking and tracking all the good habits and you stick with that, soon Mm -hmm. enough, like the neurons in your brain, like we call it, you know, getting the unconnected connected. And Mm -hmm. soon enough, you know, you're going to start rewiring your brain to actually think differently. And it will start to become a habit, right? And once you've got the habits down, you then can start to identify, okay, what are the tasks now that I need to complete to be able to get to the bigger goal? And you just break it down day by day by day. And honestly, what trauma taught me is that I don't like planning years in advance or, you know, even months in advance sometimes. It's you've got to look at today and say, okay, you can take it hour by hour or half a day by half a day. Or if you, you know, if you want to take the challenge on the day by day, great. But actually sometimes even that can be pretty overwhelming, especially if you're in a leadership role, because sure. you look at some of these calendars um, and these organizations for leaders, they are swamped. But then you've also got to say to yourself, well, how many of those 
meetings or how many of those specific tasks that you've got identified in your calendar, how many are actually productive and again, and get you to a step closer to the next day. And also it's, you know, that's something else I talk about is you've got to look at the process of elimination and the best way to be able to manage your time and get you to where you need to be is not just having the habits and the tasks and the goals, but you've now got to have time management and you've got to say, okay, this is the time I'm going to start this task. This is the time I'm going to end it. And you'll be amazed at how much more efficient you'll be within that time frame. Sure. And so it is, it's a lot of, you know, time management and also process of elimination and saying, okay, mm-hmm. what can I eliminate, you know, from my table? What can I eliminate from my calendar? What can I eliminate from my brain? And you just, if you concentrate on one thing, like it's incredible, like how much sharper you can actually get. And I'm a big advocate for this. So sorry, I've got to get this in, but you got to drink a gallon of water a day. Come on. You've got to drink a gallon of water a day. And um, exercise is super important. I know we haven't brought it up, but um, I am actually an athlete in training right now to compete um, in high rocks later on in the year. But I'm really vigilant with my training, but also nutrition, sleep. You've got to get at least eight hours of sleep between seven and nine hours. People think, but I've got to do more. I've got to, the only time I can eat into is my sleep. And it's wrong. It is wrong. The more you sleep, because your brain's an organ, the more you sleep, you're giving your brain what it needs. The more water you drink, the more, you know. So you look after yourself, you become sharper as a result and you start to think more clearly. And those habits that I mentioned earlier and those tasks, they're going to become a lot more manageable. Sure. Well, um, all solid advice. And, and when you when you think about your time with, with John, you reached, I believe you, did you reach out to John McCaskill and say, hey, help me out? Yeah basically did. I, just, I asked for help and I said, I want to meet you and I want to talk to you. And I knew that he is someone that would really fully understand. And I can't even remember how I found him. I think he knew someone that I knew. And, um, but anyway, everything just transpired and I met up with him and, you know, now he's like a brother to me. In fact, it's more than that. He's a business partner too, because we have established a, not just him, but there's, there's five of us now. We've got a leadership academy that we've formed the Buffalo Leadership Academy. And we're actually giving a conference in July. So anybody listening um, that would like to meet not just myself, um, but John, who is a you know retired Navy SEAL commander. We've got uh, Philip and Travis and Teresa. So we've got another Navy SEAL. We've got another uh, two other Marines. So there's five of us leaders. And obviously I'm a CEO of Be A Legend and a Stevie Award winner. Um, and a neuroscience and uh, leadership expert. So between the five of us, you know, we are actually putting on an incredible conference in July, July 21st. So make a note of that, July 21st. And it's going to be held at the Erie Castle in Colorado. Because that's something that, that John and, you know, I discussed before is that we just, we think very similar on a lot of levels. And he obviously introduced me to Philip and Travis and Teresa, and I just think they're phenomenal leaders. And you know, they all asked if I would you know, like to come on board and be a part of this. So, of course, I said yes. I mean, it's such an amazing opportunity to work with such incredible leaders. And we've got two fantastic panelists as well. One of them happens to be Gretchen Evans, um, and the other is John Register. So, in the military world, I'm sure um, a lot of people know who Gretchen Evans and John Register are in the civilian world. Uh, let's just put it this way. They're complete badasses. <laughs> so there's no other way to express it. Sure they are. <laughs> but they're incredible leaders. So, 
So you've got this, uh, you've got, you know, be a legend. You've got the work you're doing for Warrior Rising. You're doing the, the, the Buffalo organization. So you've got all these different activities. How have you reshaped your ability to, you know, be a mother, a wife, a leader? How do you keep all that, all those balls in the air? I mean, I think that's what a lot of people would like to know is you've got a lot going on. How are you doing all that? I get asked that all the time, Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, it's time management. And I will say this, it's not easy, right? It's not right. easy. But, you know, it's something I heard a long time ago that I really love. And it's, we don't choose easy. We choose right. Because we'll always regret what doing what's easy, but we won't regret doing what's right. right. And so for me, what's right is doing this for my family, doing this for others, really helping support and show others that, listen, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. You don't give up. You know, it's never too late, ever. I left everything behind in England for multiple reasons. Um, maybe we can have another session at some point and I'll disclose. But there's multiple reasons why I left England. And I came and started a brand new life out here in America with nothing but a laptop in my brain. And that was just nearly seven short years ago. Um, and now, you know, I have this incredible award-winning company and we help so many businesses and so many people. And in answer to your question about how do I manage it all? Yes, it's challenging, but I time manage and I eliminate things from my life that doesn't serve me or that just are not, you know, as important as what, you know, I, I, I want in my life. Or I very, I'm very strict with when I start the working day and when I finish the working day. And I'm very good at being able to Although my husband might disagree lately, just because it's been there's been so much going on, but I've always been very good at compartmentalizing. So you know, I step out of the office and I see my kids. I'm now in mum role, and you know, I'm I'm mummy. You know, for that time, I'm, I mean, I'm always the mum, right? But I have to wear these different hats when I'm at Be a Legend. I'm the CEO of Be a Legend. When I'm working with the um, other guys and the other leaders at Buffalo Leadership Academy, I'm co-founder and part owner of that. And so that's a different role. When I'm helping nonprofit organizations like Warrior Rising or the other group that I help here locally for parents who have lost children, you know, that's a supportive role or, you know, it's a speaking role. It's just that they're different. I wear different hats for different um, events and different occasions, depending on the need, you know, in that moment. But it really is about time management. And it's just, I mean, let's put it this way. I don't really have a social life, which is fine. I don't watch TV. A lot of people say, oh, have you watched the show? And I'm like, I I don't have time for TV. You know, if I ever have a few moments to myself, I actually like to read. And I read an awful lot. I'm reading 10 different books right now. And it drives my husband crazy because they're, you know, all over the house. It's like, are you ever going to finish one of them? And I'm like, I like to read what I feel like in that moment. And I learn. I'm learning all the time. So I'm just always in that growth zone. You know, I'm always trying to expand, you know, my knowledge and so forth. And so book, book reading, I do a heck of a lot. And then I always make sure I have my own time very early in the morning before everybody else is awake. And that's when I'm training um, with my fellow athletes. So yeah, it is about time management. And yes, do I get sleep? 100% do I. Eight hours of sleep every night. And that I'm very, very strict on that. So yeah, sometimes the laundry doesn't get done, but you know, that's okay. <laughs> what, uh, what does your husband do? Um, he is, well, he works in our business, uh, part-time as our CTO, but he actually yeah. changed roles, um, a lot now with just the shape of our company and where it's growing and the areas that we concentrate on. And we made a decision that either he is going to be the one that takes on the full responsibility of 
looking after our children or, you know, we would have a nanny and he would work full time in the business. But we decided that we didn't really want anybody else bringing up our children. So he is the full time caregiver while I'm at work during the week, you know, looking after our children. So, and that's a tough job. Don't get me wrong. That's it's amazing. Job. Sometimes it's I come into office for a break. I will say that. I, and I say that with a light heart because I love being with my kids, but you know, sometimes you need that quiet, you know, where you can think. And, you know, that's why I, I uh, come into the office, but that's, that's the decision that we made. Um, and it just works. It works really well. As a- the reason I asked the question is, you know, at some point, I think you support each other differently in, in different parts of your marriage, right? And this is your time where your career and your skills and everything are coming together. They're bearing fruit in the fact that he, you know, spent some time, you know, so much time in the military doing his thing. And and now you play these different roles. And I think it's amazing. It's a great story. It's really important for other people to hear. And parenting is is a full-time job. It's 24-7. It never stops, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whatever. And the challenge is, you know, my wife is She's definitely the COO of her house. She she took care of both of her parents when they were she was their primary caregivers for five years with her mom and almost ten years with her with her dad. So she she would take care of our kids, our house, and then go and take care of them and just do that twenty four seven. I think women and moms in general have different battery life than men do. You know, what you went through physically, emotionally, mentally, I don't know a lot of guys that could rally that way. We just right. we don't have we're not wired. I think women's pain tolerance is often much much higher than men's in certain situations. They can handle, you talk about compartmentalization, they can handle a lot going on in their brain. Whereas men talk about, I, you know, when I'm taking out the garbage, I'm not thinking about anything, (laughs) (laughs) but taking out the garbage, you're probably taking out the garbage, thinking about this kid's homework assignment. The fact that you've got to be at the Stevie awards in Las Vegas on Tuesday, somehow you're getting it all processed, right? It's true. Well, I've been traveling as well for the past three weeks. It's been a lot. I mean, being away from the family a bit. Um, I actually took the family out to Vegas with me this time just because I had been around for the past couple of weeks prior to that, you know? So um, I was actually just out in Seattle um, giving a leadership workshop out there and then coming back and then had a couple of days in the office and I'm off again to Vegas. So it was just, there was a lot of traveling involved. You're right. I think that my husband has been amazing, you know, through through all of this. And I and that's, this is another important point. A lot of divorce happens, you know, with parents that have lost children. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, even it's higher in the military as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the odds were against us for... Right. You know, us to work really but i mean we just we just do we just we pull together you know he has his strengths i have mine and we just work well and we're not perfect but you know we work very well together and like you said you know he supports what i'm doing he can see that i'm incredibly passionate with what i do i really enjoy seeing the change in people and just enhancing people's performance you know, it's not the skills that I teach and the tools that are developed within these workshops or within, you know, when I'm speaking and so forth and the takeaways people have, they're not just tools and strategies that you can implement, like I mentioned earlier, in your working life. They're life skills. They are life sure. skills. I mean, I haven't even touched on pretty much my life story. You know, I've told you a little bit right. that the part that I missed out that because you mentioned about postpartum depression and, and, and some of the listeners might not understand. Jack died as a baby and I actually went into early labor and I had to, this is one of the most traumatic things I think I've ever gone through besides nearly losing my life. I had to end up delivering him myself and that was horrific. Can't imagine. The emergency services, you know, they, they, they came too late. They came within seven minutes. Or I think it was seven minutes um, 
Yeah, part of the backstory is, folks, this all happened really quickly. They went from something's going on to that, that you and your husband are like, uh, hold on a minute here, right? And then after all that, you they took you to the hospital where you were like, almost didn't make it on the way there, right? So amazing. It was, I was in a very precarious situation, let's put it that way. I didn't realize how bad until much later when you start reading through the nights, when you start talking to the doctors, when you, you know, when you're kind of coming out of this fog, so to speak. And then I remember one day saying, where is our bath mat? Like I couldn't find our bath mat. We used to have this white bath mat. And I'm like, where is this bath mat? And then I came to realize because our next door neighbor had come over and she was looking after our children while I was being taken to hospital so my husband could come with me. And also I was missing a towel too. And then I discovered that there was so much blood all over the the, the bathroom floor that it was completely blood soaked. And so it just got bent. There was no point in even trying to save that. You know, when I work with former military people, and veterans, particularly those that have served as either you know, Marine, which is kind of like you're always in the thick of it, special ops, and somebody who's as closely tied to the military you are as a spouse, but the things you've gone through from a trauma perspective. And I liked how you 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 describe the difference between trauma, you know, and other aspects that people always talk about, right? It, it, the trauma parts, people sometimes the grief is one part, but the trauma is another. I want to close with this because I think your potential clients, other listeners need to need to remember this. When someone works with you and something's going wrong in their business, something goes wrong while they're working with you in their business, something goes wrong in their life. What I say about the the Jasons, the John McCaskills and the, those people and in, in you're in that category is not a lot scares you, right? There are bad situations, there's trauma, there's all sorts of things going on. But when you have faced death, when you have seen death, when you've been in situations where the the decision is to close your eyes and go to sleep and just forget about it or stay on the couch for the rest of your life, or that one decision, should we breach this door or not breach this door, their life and death for the people around you and yourself, that's a different type of what I'll call consultant. That's a different business leader. It's just, a, it's just bringing something different to the game. And, and I think, like you mentioned, this book that you're writing, Hunter Be Hunted, right? You either wait to die or you go out there and find what you need to kill right? To survive. Right. And when you're looking at your background in in psychology and in neuroscience and the fact that you have this creative part of your brain, I can't wait to read the book. I can't wait to watch more podcasts because there's so much depth. I, I, I interview a lot of really cool people and a lot of them great stories, but you've got like five different podcasts in one. We could, we could have gone down multiple paths here. But if if someone was to call you or see you in the street and say, why should I work with Be a Legend? What would you tell them? The first words that come into my mind is, I get it done. Okay. In other words. Don't, don't disagree with yeah. that. In yeah. other words, whatever it is you want to achieve in life, in your business, I'll, I'll get it done. That's, that's the first thing that comes into my head. I'm like, if you're really serious about wanting to change or wanting to enhance, I like to use the word enhance a lot because... I think, you know, a lot of leaders I work with didn't get to where they're at, you know, because they're poor at what they do, right? Right. They've got to where they're at now, like if they want to get to that next level. And it's, you know, that legend, that legendary status, if you like. But it's how do you enhance the performance? And working with somebody like me, I mean, I'm very direct. With all the skills and the background and um, the education and my life experience, roll that all into one. And like I said, this is, like a teeny, tiny, tiny snippet into my life. This hasn't even scrapped the surface yet, you know. 
which is scary, yeah. <laughs> right? Because the fact that think that there's more there. Well, you know, I, I, I love the name of the company. I love the name of the book. I, I can't wait to follow you and your husband as you raise two legends. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Well, I like to say three, and one of them is in my head. So, yeah, three legends, but sure. two of them living, sure. Jack's already legendary because he's a big part of the story. Huge, yeah. I mean, I may not even be doing what I'm doing today without him. So, yeah. Yep. It's an amazing way to look at it. I've been looking forward to this podcast since the day we met, and uh, I'm looking forward to staying connected to what you're doing. And we'll reconnect when you're a 6X Stevia. <laughs> Absolutely. Stevie when, winner. Stevie hey. winner. When you win it for six, the sixth one in a row, I can't wait to see I it. I love that. I'm coming to that event. <laughs> yes, well, I was going to say, if anyone is interested in coming to the Buffalo Leadership Conference in July, all you have to do is just text the word Buffalo to 33777. So just text the word Buffalo to 33777 um, and you'll get all the details and, and, and so forth. Yep. Um, and then if anyone wants to get in touch with me uh, on a personal level or just for business or wants to discuss, you know, what do these leadership workshops look like or they have a question for me, regardless of what it is, just text the word legend, so L-E-G-E-N-D, just text the word legend again to that same number, 33777. Got it. I will make sure we put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. All right. Well, Pete, thank you so much for having me on. I've really thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and thank you for allowing me to share a little part of my story. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for being here and uh, can't wait to see what happens next. Absolutely. Thank you, Pete. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Ah! 